Hello and welcome to Iterated, a podcast about tech innovation from unexpected people in underestimated places. I'm your host, Kathy Chen Arriaga. To iterate is to repeat steps as a means of obtaining closer and closer results to the solution of a problem. In this show, we celebrate early to mid-career professionals and the idea that innovation isn't always disruptive and radical, but more often incremental and adjacent, a constant work in progress at the borders and periphery. In our inaugural episode, we have a special speaker, Amaris Castañón, a field application scientist working in 3D bioprinting with Fujifilm and previously at biotech startup Cellink. Amaris has worked at prestigious and renowned research institutions such as the University of Sheffield, Graz University of Technology, University of Pennsylvania, University of Texas Medical Branch, Universidad Autónoma de México, Fraunhofer Institute of Applied Optics, and University of Barcelona. Her diverse background has allowed her to obtain significant experience in many research fields, including those of stem cell culture, biomaterials, and biochemistry, all fields vital to the interlaced environment that is 3D bioprinting today. Hi, Amaris. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. So let's start by getting to know you. Where are you from? What were you like growing up? And where did you go to school? Yeah, so thank you so much for having me, Kathy. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I originally grew up in Ciudad Juarez, Mexico, and the border city of El Paso, Texas as well. So I actually went to school in both cities. I did part of my primary school and then middle school and high school in El Paso, Texas. And so that's where I grew up. I guess what I was like growing up, hmm, I was always a very curious person, I have to say. I was interested in a lot of different subjects. That was actually pretty worrisome growing up because when I was young, I had this like inner anxiety of not knowing what I was going to do when I was, you know, grown up and in college and whatnot. But eventually that ended up being a positive sort of facet of me. So we'll talk about that more and where I went to school. So, so I went to a lot of different schools, the shorter end, I guess the latest end of my education, which was high school school was shared between Emmanuel Christian School and Coronado. So I ended up graduating from Coronado High School. Okay, and then you got your undergraduate degree at UTEP, right? Yeah, I did. So I went to college actually at UT El Paso, and I studied abroad in Austria for a long time. So I did a lot of my regenerative medicine and engineering work there. And then I went to grad school in England. So I did my master in stem cell and regenerative medicine at the University of Sheffield. And then after that, I did more graduate school at UPenn. So I moved to Philadelphia back in the United States. I stayed there for a year, actually. So I worked there, but I didn't end up joining the PhD program. I did a bunch of graduate work, and then I decided that I wanted to go into industry. Um, so I moved to Germany and ended up doing more work in Germany on bioprinting and moved a lot between Europe and the U.S. after that. That's fascinating. Wow, what a diverse set of experiences you have had. So currently your role is at Fujifilm and dealing directly with bioprinting. So tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing right now. 
Yeah, so so I'm a field application scientist. Essentially what that entails is I work together with the sales team and I work in the field. So I go with scientists and I, I work on their specific application. So they tell me about what they're doing and then I basically tell them how the products that they can engage with can help with their research. And bioprinting is a very new field. So the role is very much an educational role where I'm having to explain everything in terms of the science that bioprinting entails for the research in the molecular biology space. So so it's very different in the sense that traditionally scientists haven't really had these tools at all in the past. It's a very new tool um, and learning about the implementation of it is something that not everyone knows about. Even researchers that are very famous and very big, they're still learning about how to manipulate this tool and how to best utilize it for their specific research. Uh, so that's really my role. It's really to teach the scientists what this is and how it can improve their disease models in the field. And before Fujifilm, you worked with Cell Link. Yeah. Is that correct? It's a startup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so they're a very big startup right now in the bioprinting space. They, I would say, are the pioneers of this whole area in the um, industry. They were the ones that first coined the very famous BioX, which has this ability to print in very different parameters of manipulating temperature. Um, you can also manipulate pressure, which is, you know, very, very, very vital for manipulating cell viability. And that was a great role. I got to work in both Latin America and the U.S. at the same time. So I was impacting both industries in both spaces. My role with them was a combination of working in the field with scientists, teaching them how to use the machines themselves, and also giving seminars on bioprinting, how the field evolved from you know, years ago from 3D printing to now applying it together with biology. And then another portion of my role is, again, holding actual courses for students. Um, so one of the biggest things is, of course, bioprinting is booming now. But our hope is that in the future, it'll be a tool that can be found in just about every hospital and every research lab. So, so that's the hope and education plays a big part in that. Could you share some of the clients and customers or organizations that yeah. you have worked with under these companies? Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what's really great about bioprinting. You know, it ranges from very small spaces like kindergartners at school to Abbey, so big pharma companies. What I really like about the bioprinting space is when we teach the kindergartners. Um, the cool thing about selling is they make their machines to be very user-friendly. So one of the ways that we prove this is um, through the clients that are kindergartners. They actually, we actually have a teacher where we taught her how to use a bioprinter, and she teaches her students how to print chocolate <laughs> with the BioX. So it's super cute, and the, the children are super excited all the time to use it. And you know, the fact that children can use it by themselves and print chocolate is already a huge, huge uh, way of demonstrating how easy this tool is. Yeah, wow, that is so counterintuitive, mm -hmm. I think, to the way that a lot of people think about bioprinting. To right. them, it's this very advanced, almost sci-fi cutting-edge field where you need multiple PhDs to even be able to turn the machine on, right? right? <laughs> so yeah, tell totally. us a little bit more. Like, So what exactly is bioprinting, the different types of bioprinting, and how does it work? Yeah, yeah. So, so bioprinting is essentially the application of 3D printing technology into the biological space. There's a lot of different applications for it because of the diversity that 3D bioprinting offers. But there's different types of them. So I would say the main ones and the main areas where we see them applied is in drug discovery, 
um, medical device printing and food printing more uh, more popular lately of course so those are the three main areas i would say are the booming areas we actually see it to more popular in the academic area versus the industrial area right now because it's very much in the research stage most scientists are really interested in manipulating the tool more slowly we're seeing a lot of interest from the drug discovery and industrial area pharmaceuticals mostly um, to create medical devices and you know tools to create better disease models so along those lines actually it's very interesting because probably heard that now uh, congress has passed the fda modernization act and this is what essentially is the push for the u.s to ban animal testing and one of the biggest things about 3D bioprinting is the uh, replacing the use of animal testing and completely revolutionizing the field in creating better disease models. Traditionally, unfortunately, animal models have not replicated the human body in the best way. And clinical trials have failed. They've cost a lot of tax money. Uh, so now 3D bioprinting has shown that uh, we can create better disease models by utilizing this technology. And so that's going to be one of the biggest advances now that we have a push from the government. We're able to implement these machines in the actual research areas. So from what I know, uh, you were actually instrumental in presenting some of the research to the FDA. Yeah, Can you yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit more about that experience? Yeah, totally. So, yeah, so we at Selling, we did a lot of work with them. A lot of the work that we did internally within R&D uh, was reinforced in the FDA Modernization Act. So they actually uh, just emptied their entire cosmetic industry uh, animal testing studies uh, facilities in New Jersey. And, and they sent me over to train them in the bioprinting space so that they learned how to use the BioX and create um, skin models. So that, that was absolutely instrumental and, you know, a great achievement for, for the company and for me in general as well. Um, it was an absolutely uh, amazing professional achievement to be able to teach the FDA. <laughs> so I loved it. And, you know, more than anything, it's very inspiring to see that the FDA is really endorsing this new type of technology and making a push towards creating better drug discovery for for the society in general. So I'm really excited that that's moving forward now. Yeah, that sounds definitely like a win-win situation, both for animal rights activists and totally. also just for the general population, also for pharma, because animal testing is so expensive and it's yeah, not very absolutely. effective. Um, so this could really pave the way forward for the future. Could we maybe talk a little bit about how you got started? Yeah. So kind of backtracking a little bit and, you know, You've talked a little bit about your recent experiences in the field. Um, how did you get interested in this type of research? Yeah, so it has to basically have to go back to when I studied abroad in Austria. So it has to do with um, when I studied abroad and did graduate classes over there. So I took a lot of graduate school classes on subjects that I had never experienced before. When I moved to Austria, I did my study abroad program in a, a university that focuses a lot on engineering. And I would say it was really the booming era of um, bioprinting back then. It was really when we were hearing about these crazy things that were being done with stem cells and how they were being applied with 3D printing. And all of that stuff was just like sci-fi to me. You know, it was mind blowing. Um, and I was so interested in it because I've always been this 
very curious person that likes weird stuff. <laughs> so when I heard of that, I was like, oh my God, this is a completely new area of biology and it's going to evolve into something completely revolutionary. And it has today. So um, once I came back, actually, after I graduated, I, I joined you guys. I joined Fab Lab. <laughs> and it was very, very much the beginning stages, I would say, of 3D printing back then. There was really no exposure at that time other than Fab Lab El Paso to get involved with 3D printing. And, and that was my real nitty gritty exposure with the printers and getting to know coding, programming, how to implement all that language into an actual 3D structure. And that knowledge proved incredibly valuable later on in my career. It's been an absolutely gratifying journey for me. I think there's also been somewhat of a best kept secret um, right. in the biology department at UT El Paso. Totally. Um, you know, where there's a lot of innovation being made in the field, but not a lot of people know about it. For sure. For sure. So one of the subjects around that is if you look at Eric Gattenholm, who's the CEO of Bico now um, and selling being one of the subsidiaries of Bico. His first uh, TED Talks were always mentioning Thomas Boland. And Thomas Boland is actually, um, he's an emeritus professor at UT El Paso, and he's the head of the bioengineering program at UT El Paso. And he was the first one to come up with this crazy idea of, okay, I'm going to put cells in a printer, like your typical desktop HP printer, and print cells on it, and let's see what happens. And the cells actually surprisingly survived. And he said, oh, my God, this is you know, a great tool that has a lot of potential. Um, and from then on, this field of bioprinting just exploded. Um, so I'm really happy that, you know, we have someone that's really a leader in this era and the pioneer of bioprinting. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really happy and proud that we're able to, to be so close to him here in El Paso. Yeah, I think one of the saddest things, though, is that so few people know about him. Totally. Um, in fact, you know, I learned about him and his work through you, mm -hmm. um, and I just, you know, really wish that there was more of a innovation community in El Paso where we can share this type of information and celebrate right. the individuals who have, you know, done such amazing things. Right. I'm going to ask you kind of a hard question. Sure. Sure. How do you think we can apply some of these practices that we talked about of learning through hands-on projects, like what you did at Fab Lab, learning about 3D printers? How can we apply that to you know underserved and underestimated regions like El Paso? Totally, yeah. There's, I, I think there's a million ways to do that. Um, but one of the main ones I definitely think is education. Um, so I think one of the first things that has risen from uh, 3D bioprinting is the education of the tool itself. And I think that's really where bioprinting is going to take off for future generations. You know, El Paso being a place where we have one of the most important uh, figures in bioprinting should be one of the places where we have most exposure for the community to bioprinting. And I think that's one of the applications where we can definitely implement is, for example, food printing. Food printing being a huge thing today and being a huge thing that will impact the future should be something that could be easily implemented here. Also, another area where I think we can definitely apply for the local community of El Paso is in skin printing. So us having the Medical Center of the Americas right next to the UMC Hospital University Medical Center 
we should really leverage that type of, of community and that type of infrastructure, having, you know, medical professionals and also innovative professionals right next to each other and being able to utilize the technology together with the experience that these clinicians have um, together with these new tools and leveraging the expertise of our local leaders like Thomas Boland. I think those are the two main areas that I could see our local communities sort of engaging themselves with um, sooner rather than later. And now a message from our sponsor. This episode of Iterated is sponsored by FabLab El Paso, a nonprofit digital fabrication and STEM innovation hub on the U.S.-Mexico border in West Texas. FabLab curates educational programming to strengthen and diversify the STEM talent pipeline and tech ecosystem. To learn more and support their mission, please visit www.fablabelpaso.org and follow FabLab on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I read a recent study that um, kids decide pretty much in upper elementary whether mm. or not they're going to be interested or entering STEM fields. Um, right. a, a really large portion, like 70% of them, have already okay. decided if they are going to be studying STEM or if that's not for them. And so mm -hmm. a lot of it is exposure in school, having a good understanding of what right. the applications are of all of these skills and technologies that they're learning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that kind of brings me to my next question. In your professional opinion, what are some of the top three most exciting applications of bioprinting? Well, I love the food printing area. I think it's probably one of the biggest ones that will have not only a big impact on society, but also in our well-being in general, just because global warming is directly impacted by our food industry today. And in the near future, we're not going to have a sustainable food industry if we continue operating the way we're operating today. Uh, so food printing is going to offer a great alternative to that. And it's also going to push our society to rethink of how we value food and what food really is. Um, and that's where I see the field really evolving. I think it's going to push our society to rethink and, and create a mindset that's completely new on how we perceive technology and our relationship with it. Um, so that's where I see a close impact. And then another one that I really enjoy is uh, the application of treatments with diabetic patients. And so that's very close to the border as well, um, given we have a large diabetic population. Yeah. There was a researcher at the University of Queensland that actually 3D printed patches with PCL. PCL is a plastic, uh, commonly known as polycaprolactone. And he was able to add actual anesthetics and diabetic treatments to these patches and cater them as personalized treatments to every patient, depending on the need of every patient's wound. Um, so that's, that's like the best implementation of personalized medicine that has ever been done with 3D printing. And that's the near end that I can see hospitals implementing sooner. So that's one of my favorite ones. And I think that's one of the things we're going to be seeing in the health industry soon. Yeah, that's truly revolutionary. Yeah. And then the last one that is really, really fascinating to me is the research that NASA has done with uh, 3D bioprinting. 
So NASA has actually currently acquired a bunch of bioprinters and they are trying to find um, how the loss of gravity affects the brain development in space. And they're actually culturing what are commonly known as neural organoids. Um, essentially, these are cells that are replicating the developmental system of the human brain. And they're being grown in space for us to check on how things are growing. Are they growing the same way that it does on Earth or are they growing differently? Um, and this is going to tell us a lot about how it's affecting humanity survival outside of Earth um, and also how it's affecting our astronauts outside of Earth. So it's very exciting technology and it's also kind of cool to just think about human cells growing outside of what is Earth. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you know, to my knowledge, gravity plays a really important role Absolutely. in um, tissue and musculoskeletal development. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah. You know, thinking about what uh, birth of the first human in space and the subsequent development could look like just from all the research that's being conducted now with bioprinting mm -hmm. um, on the ISS. Yeah, that's really fascinating it's to think about. It's super exciting, yeah. And, and what you say is super true. Um, one of the main issues actually with uh, culturing these cerebral organoids on Earth is the fact that they get this necrotic core in the center. And it's been observed that when they grow them in space, this necrotic core isn't as present. So it's, it's believed that it's thought it's uh, due to the lack of gravity that we have in space. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the developmental gradients that occur within the, the cells that are intergrowing within themselves and the stem cells that are trying to organize into a specific brain structure. So it's super interesting. It's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, those are some really uh, fascinating breakthrough research that's happening right now. And all of this research wouldn't be possible without um, individuals who are dedicated and interested in you know, participating and conducting. So what can we do to better support scientists and innovators and entrepreneurs who are interested in taking this discovery even further? Yeah, so that's a that's a great question because it's very much a philosophical question almost, I feel. <laughs> a lot of it, I think, really stems from society. Um, it has to be really, I think, a conscious effort from society to to really admire all of these people and really recognize the problems that we have. Um, you know, not just, I would say, as a society as a whole, just as humanity, right? These are human on a global scale problems. And there's people all over the world scattered, very, very bright professionals that are making efforts to solve these issues. I think the number one thing that would support these efforts that are being made by these bright scientists is just recognizing as humanity that we have these issues and we have to recognize them that we have to do something about it, right? And it takes important figures for that recognition to occur. Important figures like the government, important figures like the media, important figures like what are we seeing on TV most of the time? Who's talking all the time? Who's getting all the attention? All those figures, I think, are the primordial ones that need to speak about these topics and start raising the alarm of we need to do something. Otherwise, it's not going to go well for us down the line. Yeah, absolutely. I think we need to raise awareness. And a lot of what our nonprofit does is to try and change the cultural mindset of how people view technology and view themselves within the tech ecosystem. If you were to say there was one person who had a really big impact on 
changing your views about science or technology, who would that be? I would definitely say it was my mentor for my master's. So so he's definitely probably one of the brightest scientists I've ever encountered. His name's Adam Glenn, and he's today he's actually a co-founder of a bioprinting company. Um, so he's the co-founder of Unicorn Biotechnologies, which is a UK-based um, company that is making efforts for food printing. I did my master's thesis under his mentorship, and he was an amazing mentor. He, I think, was probably the one that taught me how to think outside the box. Really, really encouraged me to shoot for stars, if you will. And I don't mean it in a cliche way. I really mean it in shoot for stars as in think about crazy stuff and don't be scared to pursue it. And more than anything, um, enjoy it, like have fun in the process. One of the cool things about bioprinting is the interface of it. And that's something that I loved about Adam. He really taught me to enjoy the process of learning, you know, chemistry and computer science and biology all in combination with each other. So he's he's very much a big inspiration for me and I'm still in contact with him. We we talk on WhatsApp all the time and he pep talks me all the time. <laughs> um, and he's a great, great scientist. He's just a absolutely mind blowing scientist and very innovative. He's going to do great things. Great, great things. Yeah, I, I feel like all would benefit from having someone like Adam in our lives. For sure. And if you were given the opportunity to pass along some pieces of advice to someone who's interested in getting into the bioprinting field. If you were to play Adam's role, just mm -hmm. for a second, for our listeners, um, what would be some of the advice you would give? So I think one of the main things is uh, looking for how to get exposed to the things you like. That's a big thing. And it's really easy to close yourself out and think, oh, there's nothing of what I want to do around me. And if you can't find it, create it. Like try to, try to really be your own cheerleader. It's really important to be your best friend in anything you want to pursue. And so that's one of the main things. I'd say now there's a lot more areas where you can find engagement in 3D printing. Even if you're interested in just, you know, not just 3D printing, anything that has to do with biology has a lot to do with 3D bioprinting nowadays. So even just getting involved in a lab that does research in biology is going to give you so much knowledge into implementing to something like 3D bioprinting. So, you know, if you don't have a 3D bioprinter close to you, that doesn't matter. Get yourself involved in a bio lab. So that's what, what I would say. Just really put yourself out there. Don't be scared of making mistakes because that's how you're going to learn. Of course, being a woman and a person of color working in this very cutting edge field, do you have any pieces of advice uh, specifically for women or for totally. underrepresented and underserved individuals? Oh, for sure. So in general, engineering is a very male-dominated area. <laughs> so I'm very much um, an alien figure, if you will, in the space. Uh, but that's also what makes it very exciting. I think um, it's great to disrupt these these barriers. You know, it's great to to show up and be able to say, hey, we are the new faces. We are the new experts and the field is changing. And and so really, you know, letting society know that your ability doesn't depend on your background and an artist, a great artist, a great scientist, a great professional can come from anywhere. And so that's very important. I think we really need to 
let people know that uh, it's it doesn't matter if they feel that because of their background they can't get to a certain place you can get to a certain place if you have the will to do it and so so it's really nice to be able to inspire others to do that those are some really great insights thank you so much Amaris. really appreciate you joining us and sharing your experiences um, and learning all about bioprinting yeah thank you so much for the time kathy and for opening the space to me Iterated is made possible by FabLab El Paso, sound recording by Jonathan Childress, and editing by Kathy Chen Ariaga. Subscribe and follow us for more future episodes on Apple Podcasts.